this morning, I hope you're ready uh, to hear what I'm going to say this morning. And I need you uh, to uh, understand something. As we are uh, starting a new year, uh, much of the vision for what uh, we are planning to do has already uh, begun. It's already started, and we've launched a lot of the vision uh, for our church already this year uh, or, or earlier last year, and now we're getting to really kind of start into it. So this morning, I need you to get yourself ready today. I need you to get your heart ready and your mind ready because this morning, we're all going to a different place. We're all going to a different level. And I need to know that you're not satisfied with just another day and just another dollar. Today is the whole, this whole place and every person in this building is about to be shifted. It's time. It's time. This keeps coming up in my spirit over and over and over and over again. It's time. It's time. It's time. Now is the time. No more waiting. No more procrastinating. No more letting this one go, but trying hard to get the next one. No, today is for you. It's not just for your neighbor. It's not for your husband. It's not for your wife. It's not for the person that's not here that should have been. Today is for you. It's time to shift. It's time to go higher. It's time to ascend to the hill of the Lord. It's time to grow. It's time to go. It's time to move forward. It's time to leave things behind us that we should have and lay hold of what is ahead. If we don't have hope for tomorrow, then there's no purpose in living today. If I don't believe that what's going to happen tomorrow can be better than what's happening right now, then why would I wake up tomorrow? That's why I don't understand it's like I told you Wednesday night, I believe it was. That's why I don't understand uh, people that don't believe that miracles can't happen. And people that don't believe that healing is, is still a part of the body of Christ. And people that believe that everything is completely as it, as it was a thousand years ago. And all of this, that we have been predestined for all of No, if, if, if I had no ability to shift or alter what was going to happen in my future, then I would have no hope in tomorrow. It's just going to have to be what it's going to be. I realize we serve a sovereign God, and I'm not taking away from the sovereignty of God. Everything that happens is because he has allowed it to happen. He hasn't made everything happen. He made everything, but every situation that you've gone through was not constructed by the Lord. It was allowed by the Lord. God did not bring sickness on Job in his family. He allowed for it to happen, right? But Job had to know that at some point something was going to change. It didn't just have to be that way just because it was. He was faithful and continued on. Why? Because he believed in the God that he served. He believed that he was a good God. You believe God's good. You believe that he has a plan for your life. If he doesn't have a plan, then there's no purpose in our life. But because he has a plan, then I have a worldly, a world full amount of purpose in my life. Why? Not because I figured it out, but because he figured it out. He was the one who made it. He was the one who made it from the end and the beginning. He knows both sides of it. He's everywhere at the same time. He understands things at the deepest, most microscopic and most macroscopic level. He knows the plans that he has for me. 
Today we got to march out of this place with not just another encouraging word or a lifted spirit. You've got to leave here with a changed and made up mind. Have you? Did you ever used to hear that song? I've got my mind made up. You've got to leave here today knowing that your mind is changed, that it's been made up, that it's not going to be the same. You've got to make the decision right now that tomorrow is going to be different. Yes. You got to walk out of this place strong in spirit and confident in heart. I don't believe this is the year for you to try to figure out who you are. This is the year for you to live out who you are. I, I, I don't think that this needs to be 10 months of a process to where you get to November and then all of a sudden start living out exactly what the Lord has planned for you. No, take the revelation one day and then work on it the next day. Take the revelation that I am who he said I am, that I'm a, 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 I'm a blood-bought child of the king. I'm, I'm a part of the family of God. Take that, own it, and run with it. Stop waiting on somebody to prophesy good things over you. We have become so word hungry in the church today that we can't hear God. We want to hear it come through somebody else so bad that we won't take it from the lips of God himself. You don't have to have a man to lay his hands on you, spit in your face, dump oil all over your body just so that you can feel confident enough to stand up and move on another day. No. Take the word of the Lord and move forward with it into the process and into the plan that he has for your life yes. you got to make your mind up I'm not doing it the way I used to anymore I'm not going back to the way it was I've been through the cycle you have been through the cycle we've got to make the decision now that we're not going to live from just move to move okay do you understand what I'm saying I'm not living from just quarterly revival service to quarterly revival service I'm not just living on one word to the next word but I am living on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God not one here and then one there but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is what I am going to be living on. What is it Jesus told Satan, Lucifer, in the wilderness when he was tempting him during his miraculous 40-day fast? What is it he told him? He said, I'm not. He said, why don't you turn these stones into bread so that you would have something to eat? If you're the son of God, you can do that. Yes, he could. But he looked at him and he said, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is not bread in this season that will sustain me. It is only the word of God. You say, well, pastor, I just don't know what's going to happen if I really do commit, if I really do go all in, if I really say I'm going to give it all for him this year. I don't know how it's going to work. Well, it's not going to be by man's ability or man's provisions or man's needs that you are going to be sustained. It will not be bread that sustains you. It will be the word of God that sustains you. You've got to make your mind up right now, just like Jesus when he walked into the wilderness. Do you realize that it wasn't his own intellect that sent him there? He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. 
spirit. And he gets there and he finds the first thing that he finds is the devil himself. Have you ever felt like, and I'm not saying he did, but have you ever felt like the Lord just led you right into the camp of the enemy? I believe he probably did. And you think, I just walked into the purpose of God and found myself on hell's back porch. How did I end up here? It's because that is the land that you are to take. And you are supposed to own this place, make it yours, and eradicate the enemy from it. When the children of Israel crossed over Jordan and into Canaan, into the promised land, it was full of their enemies. It was their land to have. It was their land to possess. But they had to eradicate the enemy from it. I believe this year, as we enter into the plan of God, it is not going to be devoid of our enemies. In fact, I believe the place that the Lord is sending us into is going to be filled with the enemies of God. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that right now, more than ever, the church needs to put down the pacifier and pick up a sword. You need to put down the baby bottle and pick up a shield because the days of just letting it slide by for somebody else to figure out are over. It's time for us to be victorious. Today you got to make up your mind that it's not going to be the same anymore. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you know that we are not living this life for us? I'm not living this life so that one day I can sit back and just live my best life. I'm not living this life working as hard as I am just so that I can have it the way I want it. And let me tell you this. I don't believe the Lord's working everything out in your life just so that you can have it the way you want it either. We aren't supposed to be living this life to make it easy for ourselves or or as good for us as we possibly can. Our life isn't lived for our own benefit or betterment. Our life is a sacrifice to God. What does that mean? That means my desires and my will and my my ideas must die or yield to his will and his desires. I don't get to choose every little thing or every big thing for that matter about how I live my life because my life is completely his. My life's not my own. See, when you accepted the Lord as your Savior, you made a commitment to follow Him. You said, Lord, my life is yours. What does that mean? You instantly got put in a permanent child seat. That baby that you raised doesn't get to make decisions for itself. Abigail got to take off the pair of shoes this morning that she wanted to wear and got to put on the shoes that her mama chose for her. Why? (laughs) 
because those black shoes looked a lot better than the dirty tie-dye shoes that she tried to put on with her black dress. Her mama told her to go put her shoes on. Well, she went and did that, but it wasn't her choice. It was her mama. She said, I guess I'm just not being a good parent because I didn't let her choose. I said, no, you knew what she needed to have on today. You knew what she needed to look like, so you made that happen. Well, I'm just controlling her. No, she has submitted to you as her mother, and you get to make the decisions for her. When I lived at my parents' home as a teenager, and even two years as a young adult, when I was 18 and 19 years old, I had to submit myself to my father, who was the man of the house, and I had to put myself under his authority. What does that mean? That if there's an issue, he's the one that solves it. It also means that if he gives direction, I'm the one who listens. So my life to the Lord, who is my father to God, is that of a father and a son. I am submitted to him. When something goes wrong, he will be the one that is responsible for it to take care of it. But when he needs something, I am the one that gets to do it. When I lived at home, it didn't matter if I was tired or if I was sore. If dad said go split wood, that meant you picked up an axe and a pair of gloves. That didn't mean you got to go do something else that day. That meant you got to go do that right then. How many of you lived with parents, what I call right then parents? You didn't get to, you didn't get to, let me finish this game and then I'll go do it. It was right then parents. And I did, and and it was, mine wasn't just right right then parents. Mine was you answer with your voice parents. There was never a time that it was okay for me to say uh-huh to my daddy. Never did I say, I would say, yeah, or uh-huh. He said, excuse me? What did you say to me? Or, or say mm-hmm. He said, I don't speak mm-hmm. I speak yes sir and no sir. And so I grew up that way and guess what? I had to submit that part of my life to him, and it was easy to do. Why? Because he loved me. Because he cared for me. There was never a day that he did not make sure that there was food on that table. Mm -hmm. Now, my mama may have cooked it, but my daddy bought it. And there wasn't ever a day that I did not have shoes on my feet. They might have been old. They might have been my brothers before they were mine. They might have been... My daddy's at one time. I didn't ever go without a, a, a pair of clothes. And when I got called to preach, I didn't go without suits. They might have only cost $75 at the hood store in Pine Bluff, but I had suits on. They might have been as stiff and as scratchy as sandpaper, but I had them on. And it was easy to do what he asked me to do because he loved me. You see, when God asks us to do something that's hard, it may be difficult for a moment. But it's easy to submit to it because you know that he loves you. You know that he cares. You know that he has always been faithful and he has always provided and he has always taken care. He has always met my needs. And if I know that he is an unchanging God and if I know that he is a faithful God, then I am willing to allow my life to be offered as a sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. Why? Because I know that my Father loves me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Hallelujah. Whom have from whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Hallelujah. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I'm not my own. I am a purchased commodity. And here's the thing. You might think, how could you? Purchasing is what they did to slaves. But let me tell you the price that you were paid for with. The most precious, the most valuable, the most un, uh, uh, unfathomable wealth was given for you. And that is one that can't be bought or sold somewhere else. That is one that there was only one transaction made with this. It wasn't recirculated into the economy. This transaction was death and life. And it wasn't death of an animal that saved me. It was the death of the Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. God. The only one that there was. There wasn't a backup. There wasn't a spare. He didn't have two extra in the closet somewhere. He didn't have a savings account built up with it in it. No. He took everything that he was and put it there on a cross so a people like us could know him. I belong to him. I was bought with a price. Well, I get happy when I preach about the gospel. I was bought with a price. I didn't, somebody else didn't buy me. God bought me. Do you understand that the devil himself would be robbing God if he took you with him because he stole you out of his hand? What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that the devil didn't spend one penny for you. He didn't give one thing for you. He didn't care about you. He didn't fight for you. He hasn't done one thing to garner your attention. Yet we find people by the hundreds and thousands and millions that will turn their back on a loving God and choose the thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy and choose the one that didn't offer up a sacrifice, that only thought of himself, that didn't think of anyone else, but only wanted to be lifted up above God himself. And yet, here he is garnering the tension of so many around us. See, you got to understand that if we preach anything about God, when God said who, who he is, he, he, he didn't say that he is, he, we know he's powerful. We know that he is the I am. But what did, he, what did Paul use to describe God? He said, God is love. Why do people talk about how much God loves you? Because if you ever have been the one that was rejected, if you've ever been the one that was walked out on, if you've ever been the one that was cheated on, if you've ever been the one that was picked last, if you've ever been the one that nobody else wanted, if you've ever been the one that felt the sting of loss in your life, then you will identify with the love of God. So when we come in contact with people this year that you know need Jesus, the first thing they need to understand is that he loves them. It might confuse them at first. 
It might not make a lot of sense to them. Why is he saying this? But deep down inside of them, they realize the inherent need for love in their life. And they search for it everywhere they can. They search for it in bars. They search for it in dope houses. They search for it in prostitution homes. They search for it everywhere they can find it. But they're not finding anything that's sustainable. Because there's only one that is unchanging. There's only one that never wavers. There's only one who actually paid the price, who paid the dowry price for this body, and he got it. So guess what? He gets to make the decisions. He gets to choose the direction. He gets to call the shots. However, it's just so easy to submit to that. Why? Because we know that he has been good to me, better than I have ever deserved. He's given me and pulled me out of more than I would have given myself. I would have given up on me a long time ago, but thank God that he did not. See, the world would give up on us, but he didn't. The world has helped to shape the mindset and the expectations. I said the world. The world has helped shape the mindset and expectations that we have of ourselves, other people, our families, and even God. It's, second, it's that secondary ungodly voice that clouds so much of our direction, but not being conformed to the world and transformed in our minds helps us prove what the will of God is. He said, be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by your, in your mind so that you will what? Prove what the will of God is. It takes transformation in my mind and a rejection of the world's narrative for me to get rid of the cloudiness of sin and depravity so that I can clearly see the plan that God has. So many people, myself included, find themselves at altars all over this nation seeking a clear direction from God. How many people is it that I have had come through lead team that sit in my office and tell me, Pastor, I just don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do. I just know that I'm supposed to do it. I need clarity. What you need is transformation in your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. It's the changing of our mind that proves the will of God. So today is the day that we say goodbye to just living life any old way and going through the motions. Now is the time that you need to be locking in and putting your feet in the ground. It's time to move forward. Today is the day that we take a transformed mind and realize that we were created for a purpose and that purpose was for such a time as this. I want you to know that we have a purpose and that purpose must be accomplished. We cannot hope that one day our children will just be better than we are and and figure it out. No, we have to move forward and take ground for the kingdom now with our generation and the time that we have been given. How will they know if they don't see? We cannot hope and expect that one day those babies will just figure it out if they've never watched you walk it out. It's likely 
that many of you in this room, I'm not going to say all, but it's likely that many of you in this room had a grandparent or a parent or a, a, a godly uh, aunt or uncle or godly person or football coach in your life that taught you what it was to serve God. It's likely that you had somebody in your home growing up that served the Lord that you heard pray, that you saw on their knees at the altar. I remember as a child that when the Spirit of God would start moving in the church, my dad didn't just go off into some other world somewhere else. My dad would come off of that stage in that big church and would come down there and grab me and grab my mom. And I didn't understand what we were doing because I was in kindergarten or first grade or second or whatever. He would come off of that stage and he would grab me by the shoulder or he would point at my mama and tell her to come here. And mama would pick me up off of that, off of that pew and drag me down there. I was coloring on tithing envelopes. I didn't know what was going on. I was tearing them up and making paper airplanes out of those first assembly of God uh, tithing envelopes. And, and they would drag me down to the front and he'd say, get down on your knees. And we would kneel right in front of that pulpit and he would put his hands over mama and over me and he would begin to pray. I didn't always hear what he said. I didn't understand that funny language that he was speaking. I didn't understand why. And I remember asking him, daddy, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And he said, son, one day you're going to know. And, and he would put his hands over me and would pray. And then the pastor would come by at some point and he might put his hand on my head and he might not. I don't ever remember it happening. But I do remember my dad taking that coat or his arms and putting them around us as a family and crying out to God. So what am I saying here? I'm saying you have got to be the one that makes the decision that my family is going to serve God. Start it now. Well, Pastor, I hadn't done it. I hadn't done it right. My kids are grown. Or they, they, they start it right now. Make the decision that we're not taking no for an answer another day. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm not sliding it to the back seat of my mind so that one day I'll get it figured out. This is not a weight loss program that you've been procrastinating on. This is not a degree, uh, classes that you've put off to another year. This is not just a good idea. This is the livelihood of your family. It's got to change. And it's got to change here so that it will change here. So that it will change here. It's got to change in your mind so it changes in your heart. It's got to change in your heart so it changes in your hands. If every day is really a gift from God, then we need to start acting like it and take advantage of it. This is the year that we're going to make the most out of every service, every outreach, every event, and every day. Because you're not just putting uh, bolts on a, on, on a tray and sending it to the next man. You're not just typing away at your computer at work. You're not just answering the phone. You're not just writing things down. You're not just taking notes. You're not just solving problems. It's not just that. Everything and every day is going to be made different now because it's different here. And if it's different here, it's going to be different here. And if it's different here, it's going to be different here. My mind's made up. And I just got to know if you're with me this morning.
because I'm making it different today. Either it's going to be different or it's going to be gone. Because the churches and the people that have chosen to, to rebel against what the Lord is doing right now are going to find themselves looking around empty-handed very soon. And it's time for us to embrace what God's doing today. I'm not talking about what he did in the 90s. Mm -mm. I'm not talking about what he did in the early 2000s. I'm talking about what he's doing right now on January the 7th of 2024. This is the year that you take steps of faith and believe God for big things. Because we've seen some big things happen last year. I think the start of it has happened. The start of it has happened. You've heard me say that so long. <clears throat> I think it's now. I think it's now. And, and I, have, I have confirmation around me that it's now. That what I have been looking for has been found. What, what the Lord showed me two and a half, three and a half years ago that very few people know about, I, it's now. It's now. Because I've, I've found, I have found it. I have found it. And it's here today. And I see it on evidence all around me. So I don't need any more confirmation to know that it's here. That this is the time. So this year is the year that we're going to see fruitfulness and multiplication transition into dominion. So I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to close this service out soon. But not yet. Genesis chapter 1 verse number 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, of the heavens, and over the livestock and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I think we can all agree that what God has done in our lives has been good. I hope we can agree that God has been good in my life. It hasn't always been easy. Many times it's been difficult, but God has been good to us. And what he has done in us has been good. Also, just to crush the head of every spirit of rejection, when God created you, he was proud of you and loved you. He wasn't disappointed when he created you. You are not a mistake. You are not a throwaway. You are not a hodgepodge mess of something that just ended up coming out. You may have been a surprise to some, but you didn't surprise him. You were made on purpose for a purpose. 
And God has also blessed you. And I believe what he blesses, he uses. He blessed Adam and Eve and immediately commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. See, he saw that the creation was good. And then he tells it to multiply. You got to understand that there was a process to something being good. And when it becomes good and usable in the hand of God, then he blesses it and it multiplies. His blessing releases us for his purpose. When Jesus blessed the five loaves and two fish, then they began to multiply. When the blessing of God rests on your home, get ready to multiply. I think about this, and this is not written in the Bible, so you don't have to take this. You can take this as my opinion here. But there are scholars, <coughs> and I've heard people talk about this, so that's why I said you can take it for what it is. Have people talk about this when the Ark of the Covenant rested at Obed-Edom's house, that the women gave birth faster than nine months. It didn't, the gestational period of a baby was shortened. I think it's because there is something about the presence of God that when it rests on your house and on your family, you multiply. I just think that there is something about the presence of God that when it rests on something, there's just so much new life that it just begins to reproduce itself. What do they say when a baby is born and you bring it home? Oh, that is just a blessing from God. Isn't it incredible that the blessing of God is always connected to multiplication? So when the blessing of God rests on a home, people all over this world seek for a child. They're all looking for a baby. Everybody wants a child. Abigail, at three years old. I think there's two things that little girls come to the earth looking forward to. Their wedding day and the day they have a baby. And Abigail walks around and she says, oh, there's a belly in my tummy. I have a little sister in my tummy. Now, she doesn't quite understand how the family tree works yet. But she wants a little sister very bad. Um, and uh, Daddy's going to have to figure something out about a little sister before that happens. But we, uh, that she she has that inherent desire to have another, to have another mothers. They say I don't have any idea about this, but they say when you hold that baby right after delivery, all of a sudden everything that was so painful and so hard melts away in your mind, and you're instantly like, oh. It wasn't, I, listen, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you that I know this to be fact. I'm telling you what I've been told by other women, that all of a sudden you're willing to have another one. You're willing to have another one. The pain wasn't as bad as what you thought it was. It really was, but you are so overwhelmed by the emotion of what has just happened that when you hold that baby, everything in your life just becomes a standstill. There's that desire again instantly of, I could do this again. We could do this again. And then about, four or five months into the whole process, you're like, how did we say we were going to do this again? And, <clears throat> and then you look at it later on and you realize that anytime you have another one, it starts the timetable over again. That 18-year that time clock just got reset when the newest one came in. And so my dad apparently wasn't care, didn't care anything about that because I'm the seventh child. So, uh, But I'll say that when the blessing of God rests on anything, I believe it produces so much new life that it can't help 
but be replicated and multiplied. I want to put three keys of dominion in your hand today as we walk out of here. And there are many areas that we're going to focus on this year that are connected to having dominion in the earth and owning the places that the Lord has given us. But I want us to start with these three. If you're taking notes, this would be the thing that you'd want to write down. First thing is this. Dominion is something we possess, not something that we hope to achieve. Dominion is something that we have been given, not something that we hope to achieve. It is something that we have, not something that we are working towards. We spend so much of our life working to accomplish and complete things, and we are very task-oriented people. From your whole life, the first 20 years of your life are completely planned out for you upon birth. You At five years old, you're going to school. And from five years old until 18 years old, you're going to be going through elementary school, middle school, high school, and then you're going to graduate. And when you graduate, you're going to do this. You're either going to go to college or you're going to get a job or this or that. And you've got this plan and this plan and this plan and this plan. And if you do this way, you can get this way and this, all these things. I remember talking to my, one of my, um, to my advisor in college Dr. Haran, and he achieved his PhD in mechanical engineering by the age of 25. So what does that tell you? From the, from the day that he opened his eyes on earth until the day that he turned 25, that man was in school. Every day of his life was planned out. He's from South India. He came from a family that he had an arranged marriage and all of these things. And, and it was an incredible, uh, unique person that I got to spend four years of four of the hardest years of my life with. And he and I had a lot of conversations about things like this. And he, he spent every day doing the same things. We're so task oriented. And it's so easy for us to become so consumed that everything about us is a task. And I'll say this. Some of you are probably better at this than I am. But I struggle to receive gifts. Giving them is usually no issue for me at all. But over the years, I've really struggled to receive gifts. I, I hate it when somebody else buys my lunch. I hate it when somebody else tries to pick up the tap. It bothers me because I don't want somebody to have to give it to me. And you say, well, Pastor, you are a sure prideful person. No, um, I've done, done my best to crush that in my life. But I didn't like getting gifts because I didn't ever feel like I deserved to get anything. Don't waste your money on me is what I would think. My parents are both highly motivated and driven people that are extremely hard workers. And I was taught <coughs> that nothing would ever be given to me. Don't expect anything to ever be given to you. Don't expect the, this world that you live in to have handouts for you when you get there. And then I'd have to work for everything that I had. And I, I remember one of the things that my dad used to say to me all the time. I remember walking up and down in the mall back when we used to have malls. And um, I remember walking up and down the mall. And I'd point at that and say, Daddy, I want that right there. And he would say, save your money. I'd walk, Daddy, what about this? I want this right here. Yep, save your money. Daddy, I want, I want this right here. Save your money. <clears throat> and one day I remember walking through the mall 
And, you know, there's always that one weird store that sells swords and knives and all this other stuff. And they don't cost anything. And they all look like they're dragons and all of this stuff and weird kooky things. And, and I remember looking at coming through one of those hodgepodge places and they had this golden sword with a gold or this gold handled sword. And, and I remember they wanted $20 for it. I said, Dad, I want that right there. And he said, save your money. And I pulled out that $20 bill so fast. I said, I got it. And then all of a sudden, it didn't. The narrative changed because now this seven-year-old little boy was about to buy a sword with this twenty dollars for something. And then we had to have a talk about whether or not I could spend that. How many of you ever had to have that talk with your kids about? Well, you might have the money for it, but you can't spend it on that. And uh, I, I do have that sword. It's in my closet at home. And uh, I did get to spend that twenty dollars on that sword. And uh, but I, he didn't buy it for me. My dad didn't buy my first car. He said, you're, going to drive, you're either going to ride that bicycle or you're going to buy the car, but I'm not buying it for you. He could have, but he didn't because he, wanted, he knew that if I bought it, I'd take care of it. And I bought that 2000 F-150 XL single cab pickup truck V6 engine, 4.2 liter, five-speed stick shift in the floor. It was great. My dad still has that truck. And uh, I bought it for $3,000. Dad wrote the check. And he said, you can pay me back in monthly payments. And I remember I worked all summer long to pay for that red pickup truck. And I tell you what, I'd just about trade that white pickup truck outside for that red one because I guarantee you now that he's had it for the last seven years, it is in tip-top shape. Um, and I did my best. I bought that truck. It had scratches in it, Seth. I'd, I'd, I'd get out there and I'd wash that old 2000 pickup truck had scratches in it and bald tires i'd be out there washing that thing shining it up i'd buy turtle wax to make them sh them scratches shine real good and i'd get out there and I'd, I'd i'd wipe that thing down i'd spray that foam on those tires and i put lights on it and had the seats redone in it and all of this stuff and and, and i was constantly putting dot three brake brake fluid in the hydraulic cylinder because my clutch never would stay pumped up in it and all of these things and, and, and I just worked so hard and I'd drive that truck down there to Grapevine and pick Sierra up and we'd drive to the next church service we could get to or whatever because there was nothing safe or good to do in Pine Bluff on the weekends so we would just we found ourselves doing those things I remember that and it meant so much to me because I was the one that bought it and it was mine I'd worked for it there's a sense of accomplishment in that and you have that understanding that I have done something, and then I have been rewarded for it. And so when you get something that you didn't deserve, to me it was hard to receive. Why did I need this? Why did I get Is anybody else that way? Does anybody else struggle receiving gifts? You're fine with giving them. But, and maybe some of you are like, no, I love all the surprises. <clears throat> Abigail is the one. She loves all the surprises. She always wants to know, is that present for me? And uh, there was a present that was sitting in our, our car the other day. She said, Mama, what is that? Is that mine? Yes, it is yours, but no, you can't open it right now. And, uh, but I didn't like getting gifts because I never feel like I deserved it. And that's a good way to teach your kids that you need to learn how to work and do those things. But sometimes that's just not how God works. That might be how the world operates in almost every area of life, but that's not how God always works. You didn't work for your salvation. You didn't work 
for his love. You didn't work for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That's all been given to you. That is a gift to you. When God created man, he wanted him to have dominion. He said, we're going to create him, and then we want you to have this. You have the authority for it. You have the, the you have you be the one that owns it all. You be the one that names all the animals. You be the one that uh, that that is the one that has control and has dominion over all of this. So you got to take that because it's not something that they ended up working for to get. It was something they were to have. But remember, I'm gonna get a little bit deep with you for just a second, if that's okay. A little teachy. Remember, this was before the fall. When he said have dominion, that was before they sinned. That was before sin entered the world. He wanted Adam and Eve to fill the earth with people just like themselves, the way that they were. Fruitfulness and multiplication and dominion only became hard when they allowed sin to enter their lives. This wasn't something that they were supposed to work for. This was something that they were supposed to possess and have. And on Christmas, your kids don't have to work for your gifts before you give them to them. They were gifts for a reason. They were something that they were to have. This year, let's start having things that we used to try and work our way into. Let's just take what the Lord's given us and instead of trying to fight our way into it, trust his direction and let's have dominion. Second thing, I don't know that I'm going to finish all three of these things, but the second thing is the product of multiplication. Dominion is the product of multiplication. People who multiply are people who have dominion because dominion is the product of multiplication. In fact, um, I'm going to close with this one. I'm not going to do the third one. As one soldier turns into two, turns into four, and into eight, we see that multiplication is the generator of dominion. The people who have learned to multiply themselves are the ones that have dominion. Without sounding boastful, have you ever been working at a job and just wished that there were two of you? Have you ever been working in the yard on a hot summer day and wish that you had about two or three more of you so the work could get done? Have you ever been working with someone and wish that there were just two more just like them? I can name a few people in this room this morning that if I had 10 more of you, I'd wish I had 10 more. Why? Why? Multiplication and dominion aren't about being lazy and wanting people to do your work for you. It's about filling the earth with kingdom-minded people. Multiplication and dominion is owning the places that the Lord's given us. If he's promised you the land, then go get it. Now, here's the catch. We are after the fall. We weren't the ones who brought sin into the world, but we were born into sin. We're after the fall. Remember that God told Adam that he would have to till the ground and he would, by the sweat of his brow, bring fruitfulness into the earth. And he told Eve, you'll bear children, but it will hurt. It will be painful. Multiplication and dominion takes some grit and toughness. It's ours, but we've got to go get it. It is ours, but we've got to go get it. See, before the fall, they just had it. 
Just go get it. It's there. Pick it up. Take it with you. Whatever you want. It's all there. Now, I can still have it. See, that's just how good God is. Even when I have messed up, he'll still give me what he wanted to. It might be harder for me because I did it the wrong way, but he's still giving me what he wanted to. Your children might not have always done things the way you wanted them to, but you still want them to have what you got. You still want them to have your inheritance, even though they hadn't done it the way you asked them to. You still love them. You still care about them. It's still your son. It's still your daughter. I don't care how much they've messed up. I don't care how many times they've yelled at you and told you they hate you. I don't care how many times that they've, that they've, they've, they've overspent on their credit card that you gave them or something. I don't care. You, you, always, you always still have that special place for them. See, after the fall, he still wanted them to have dominion. You're still going to have dominion. But it's going to cost you now. Because now you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to fight your way through it. And we see that pattern played out again as the people of God, the nation of Israel, is departed out of Egypt and finds themselves going into the promised land. They get there. I alluded to this earlier. They get there. It's theirs. God promised this to Abraham. They've gone through Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and now here they are in the land of their fathers. But what's it filled with? Giants. Giants. It's filled with the biggest fruit you've ever seen in your life. They carried the grapes. One cluster of grapes took two men and a stick to carry it out. Can you imagine a grape the size of a basketball? The fruitfulness is unmatched in the promise of God, but you have got to take it. you got to go get it. See, the land would have, there never would have been giants. There never would have been walled cities for them. There never would have been wars. There never would have been anything if it had not been for the fall. Dominion is to be had. And it is still to be had. But it comes with some hard work and some determination that I'm not going to let it slide to the next one. I'm not going to put off on my children what God called me to do. Yes. Don't make your children fight just like you wouldn't want your children to have to break and take out a loan for your funeral. Don't you dare let the kingdom that you are supposed to expand be limited to your babies that you leave behind. That's been, I, I don't have any plans on leaving this earth anytime soon. I really hope I live to be as old as my people and I make it to 91 and plus years old. I, I really hope I make it that way. And I hope that when I get to that age, that Abigail and all her little brothers and sisters have got this much to worry about because I've set them up for the opportunity to be very successful in their lives. Do that. You might not have millions to lay away. God, I hope you do one day. And I hope you pay your tithes to Refuge Church so we can build another one. But you might not have millions to lay down to your kids. You might not even have $10 to hand down to your children. But don't you dare leave this earth without having taught your children what it is to serve God and have dominion in the earth. Guys, we got to do this. 
not just for our children, but we got to do this because there's a city around this church that needs God. There's a region in which we have been placed that is desperate for a fresh moving of the Spirit, and we've got to be prepared to steward a move of God that changes the nation because we need it, y'all. Our... <laughs> The United States of America is on a collision course with a very hard reality. Is it going to end in financial crisis or war? I don't know. Both of which are, up, are, are looking probable at this point. And so we've got to be steadfast. COVID took you by surprise, just like it did me too. But don't let another attack from the enemy catch you by surprise. Let's dig our feet in right now and make the decision. I'll tell you right now, the decision's already been made that this place ain't shutting down again. But dig your feet in the ground and make the decision that right now we're going to serve God through it all. Through it all. Not until it all, but through it all. We're going to serve Him. And we're going to be fruitful because we're going to prioritize health. We're going to multiply because we have been fruitful. And we're going to have dominion because we have multiplied. There needs to be more people just like you. There needs to be more people like you in this church. There needs to be more people like you at your job. There needs to be more people like you in this city helping make decisions, helping shape the reality of what we live in. You have that power. It lies inside of you. Tap into it and use it for the kingdom of God as we go forward and have dominion in the earth. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for this moment. And Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would rest on us today in a mighty and special way. Let your blessing rest on us as we multiply in Jesus' name. Amen.